Let's have a thankful week. Hopefully it's filled with blazer wins. I'll take those as my favorite Thanksgiving side dishes. Let's go! All right, Rip City, welcome to the 10th episode of the Holy Backboard Podcast. We are broadcasting live right after the Trailblazers 107-93 victory against the Lakers down in Los Angeles. You know it's me. I'm Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man Sage out here in Southern Oregon. Sage, it has been quite a weekend for Oregon sports. I mean, Blazers go back-to-back wins on Friday, Sunday, defeating the, the Clippers 102-91 in the Rose City. The Ducks, we were both down in Eugene, get a big 20-point victory over those Trojans. The Timbers, for all the soccer fans out here in the Rose City, picked up 2-1 victory in the first leg of the Western Conference Finals. And then, of course, the Trailblazers, they beat LA. It doesn't matter what the record is at any part of the season. It doesn't matter. It is always a glorious day when the Trailblazers beat the Lakers. A 14-point win, and my man, they got it down to three, and the Blazers ended on a 14-3 run to put it away. But it, I really never felt like this game was in jeopardy. What do you think? Never. I mean, once they put Kobe in in the last five minutes, I was like, oh. Alright, this, this will be a win for us because that dude, he does not care about passing at all. Just like the entire team, really. When he's in, they do not pass. I like the ball movement a little bit more when it was the bench players in. I mean, the story of the game. The Lakers, 17 assists to 10 turnovers. The Trailblazers, 27 assists to 10 turnovers. One team had a team mindset. The other one was just trying to get theirs. And this is what, you know, I feared if, if I'm rooting for the Lakers, which why would I ever do that? But first, people who do do that, I don't know why they would, but I guess there are some out there. You got to worry about this team and how they were constructed. Lou Williams, Nick Young, Kobe, they all only know one thing, and that is shoot the basketball. And they take god-awful shots. Every time Kobe Bryant shot the ball, I was just thanking him because it was low. It was a line drive. He had no lift on his legs. And that's sign number one that he needs to hang it up. Because in his prime, he was a player that you could have a 20-point lead in the second half, a 15-point lead with six minutes to go, and you were still fearing for your life during that game because you know at any moment he could just snap out of it and just take over a game in the blink of an eye. They were right back in it. That fear is completely gone. He does not... I don't think he instills any sort of... Nobody, like, shudders when, when they walk by. It's like, oh, my God, Kobe's in the building. It's none of that. I, I thought the Trailblazers did a fantastic job of taking advantage of Kobe's selfishness. I mean, he shot the ball 22 times. He he only made six of them. But every time he shot, the Blazers were leaking out on the fast break, um, trying to push the tempo because he was either yelling at the referees because he thought there was a foul, that phantom foul, or he was just so slow that we leaked out and we got a lot of transition buckets. And I thought that really set the tone. And that's a great way to take volume shooter out of his rhythm. Basically, every time he shot, it was like him bailing the Blazers out. Sign number two that Kobe needs to hang it up. Mason Plumley just crossed you over, man. Mason Plumley, a seven-foot center, crossed you over in the open court. You need to hang them up. I mean, we know Plumley's got handles, but that vine is beautiful, and I look to watch those loops over and over again. Finally, third sign Kobe Bryant should hang it up. Immediately after the game, I get a text from Mom. I think Kobe's days are over. Mom, you're right. They are over. The Trailblazers, you know, they continue to win in Los Angeles against the Lakers. Uh, that's their fifth straight win at Staples. 
We've got the Lakers uh, again later this week. As much as I dislike Kobe and we rag on him, it, it's still weird to see him so mortal. You know, I'm almost at a loss for words because all of those battles that I've, I've went to and I witnessed in person in Portland, you just loathe those Kobe fanboys and you loathe that little, like, that face he makes. It's like an overbite when he gets really excited after making a big bucket, but... You know, part of me is going to miss those matchups. So, you know, he does come to Portland twice this year, but you never know with his age, he could get injured. I do not wish injury in anybody, so I hope he stays healthy. But this could be one of the final chances to ever see Kobe and the Lakers in the Rose City. So, you know, take advantage of that. It is the Thanksgiving weekend. So if you're in town, go to the game, cheer on the squad. They're definitely a fun bunch. And I, I think just getting that victory Friday night against the Clippers really got the monkey off, off of their back. I could tell that they're a better team than a seven-game losing streak would indicate. You know, you always see that with a bad team. Oh, they're a, they're a better than a 2-10 a and 10 record, you know, and it just seems like it's rhetoric and people throw it out there. I really think it was true with this Trailblazer team. They have a lot of talent, and they were not getting blown out, which is key with young teams and teams in losing streaks. So, you know, the, the fight was always there, the competitiveness was there, and the talent is there. They're playing against great teams during the streak. And it just, you know, the ball wasn't bouncing their way. You know, a funny thing I've been thinking about, Sage, is I keep looking at the standings. And after the victory, Portland is 6-9. and nine. They're sitting in 10th out west, just a game out of 8. However, if things would have bounced their way, Zach Randolph doesn't get that rebound in Memphis. Corey Brewer doesn't hit that one-legged prayer in Houston. And the Blazers play a little bit more composed with an 18-point lead against Detroit. You're looking at a nine and six record. If without looking at the standings, where would you say that would put Portland in the West with a nine and six record? Solidly in seventh. Fourth. Fourth and a half game out of third. The West I mean, really that, isn't as tough. The West really it's isn't. It's not. I, that's just incredible to me. So like all of the knee jerk reactions, like all oh, the season's over. You know, when is the next season? All just just chill. Like mm-hmm. we literally are fifteen games into the season. A lot of teams have a lot more problems than the Portland Trailblazers. What the Rockets are five and nine. The Clippers are six and seven. We all watched that Clippers Warriors game and knew no matter how big of a lead they got, Golden State was going to get them. Right, Sage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we saw that team just does not have a mental makeup because I knew the Blazers were going to win that game after the Warriors came back on them. They, they're just not mentally strong, which is surprising with a team with Chris Paul leading them. He, he is a great leader, but I just don't know if Doc Rivers has that locker room. I don't think it's a, a very well-constructed team as a unit. Talent, on paper, they're a great team, but I don't think they play really well together. And they let Portland out-hustle them. Portland killed them on the hustle board stat. You could watch that game, and it was almost like last year when the Trailblazers were the more talented team and they would go into an opposing gym against maybe a younger, maybe a scrappier team that didn't have quite the good enough record. I, I point to those two Minnesota Timberwolf games last year in Minnesota, where Minnesota straight out wanted it more and they blew us out. That's what happened. The roles were reversed, and Portland was the underdog, and they attacked. So it was a great win for the Trailblazers, and I think leading that charge was Ed Davis. He was the first trailblazer with 15-plus points and 15-plus rebounds off the bench since Travis Outlaw did it nearly nine years ago. I mean, in total, he had 17 points and 15 boards, 10 offensive rebounds. Let that sink in. 10 offensive rebounds. Sage, I mean, he's my man crush. You're crushing on too, right? Oh, yeah. Right now, I'm actually looking at the play-by-play stats for the Clippers-Blazers game because I've watched Chris Paul for 
many, many, many years. Every time I watch him, besides recently, he always handles the ball in the fourth quarter. Against the Blazers and against the Warriors, I did not see him handle the ball. It was mostly Austin Rivers initiating the offense. It was Crawford. So I'm wondering, is he just not passionate? Is he hurt? A Hall of Fame point guard allowing Austin Rivers, someone who, if his name was Hawes, would not be in the NBA right now. Why is he deferring so much? That's crazy, though. You're a Hall of Famer, and you're letting some D-leaguer initiate the offense. And you just stand outside? It's ridiculous. Do you think it has anything to do with his injury? I know he rushed back to get to that Warriors game, and I was honestly a little surprised that he did play the following night in Portland. That's the only reason I could think about it. We've talked about this all podcast since we started in, in the preseason when we did our, our rankings that the Clippers do not have a ball handler. That's, you know, going to be their detriment. But he just, he didn't look aggressive. No. Like he usually kills the Blazers, but he only, he was four of 12 from the field. And when Chris Paul is aggressive, I've always thought this was his biggest knock. He's a Hall of Fame player, but I think he could have been one of the all time greats in terms mm-hmm. of like how we're envisioning Curry right now or LeBron. If he was just more aggressive because he has such a great mid range game, he can get to the, the hoop with the best of them and he's such a great passer that defenses fear him. So they kind of play off of him, stick to their man because they don't want to get beat. But if Chris Paul's only going to take 12 shots, the Blazers are going to take that and run every single time. Jamal Crawford had 15 shots in that game. That's the second most attempts behind Blake Griffin's 20. Of course, Blake Griffin needs to be the one that's shooting the most, but I don't know what to make of this team. DeAndre Jordan was 5 of 6. I think they needed to find a way to get him more involved. You give this guy a max contract, you still can't get out of the second round. Try using him in a different way because he he's wanting to take his game to another level. He's still athletic enough to make a difference. You know, use those legs while he still has them. And then there's rumors today that after they blew a, didn't blow a big league, they got blown out at home by the Raptors that Josh Smith and an unnamed coach got into it. And it just, it, it all goes back to those signings. You know, they bring over Paul Pierce, who's, who's, you know, been the man before mm. in Boston. And is, is he going to be able to take a backseat role? He's always been vocal. Josh Smith has always been, you know, a vocal guy. Lance Stevenson, who is a DNP one night in Golden State and is starting the next night in Portland. It's just, it's a bunch of different personalities that feels like they're trying to force something that's not going to work. Do you see the Clippers turning around or do you think they're going to have to, you know, make a trade, blow it up? Um, Because it doesn't look pretty right now for, for Doc Rivers and the Clip Show. You have two really good players. They can lead you to the playoffs. No. I don't think that they'll lead them to the second or third round, but having Chris Paul and Blake Griffin will, and DeAndre will definitely lead them to the playoffs. And I wouldn't be betting against them. I but don't see them. situation right now where it's championship season or bust. It's no more. No, no, no. So they're in that win now mode. So it's just not about getting to the playoffs and it shouldn't be. Not that team is too talented. I mean, this is a franchise that gave up a first round pick for Doc Rivers. So he's definitely got to be feeling a little bit of the heat as well. Is Doc also the GM? No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. He seems like one of those dudes that wants all the power. Yeah, well, he he might as well have been because he traded for Austin Rivers and he's playing him crunch time minutes. You know, when CJ was on him, that was lunch meat. It was CJ had his way with him in the first quarter, 11 first quarter points. I thought that really set the tone, especially when you have a team coming off of a back to back off of a loss. It was great that Portland got out, got the energy going. And finally, it was Lillard time. Like, we have been waiting for this all season long. It's usually opposite when these two teams match up. It's usually Paul that gets the best of Lillard. 
Lillard just went off. He had 27 points, 4 of 10 from distance, 7 assists, and 4 rebounds. But it was those back-to-back threes where he just pulled up from Wilsonville and, point, you know, the Clippers call timeout. He points to the wrist. Bench is hyped. Crowd's hyped. I'm hyped. It just it felt like the thumb is finally healed. He's back. And as Dame goes, the Trailblazers go. I actually, I was listening to some hip-hop, and the song Beast from the East came on the shuffle. I was watching the Blazers game. I was like, Dame really is the Beast from the East Bay. I like it. I like I like it. I, I think we should try and make that a hashtag. But, yeah, I think he's the beast from the East Bay because he's playing outstanding. Even when the thumb hurt, he was still playing outstanding. He's definitely been our warrior, and you just love having a guy like him on your corner. You know, even after the losses, you know, he gets tweets and stuff, but he retweets. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. He's really a, a through thick and thin type of guy. I love that. You know, I can't say enough how much he means to the city, to this franchise. thought it was just an... Even though Dame hit those threes, which really was, you know, the turning point. Ed Davis set the tone early. I thought the team just wanted it more. Coming off of a off of a four-game road trip, that first game back acts almost as an essential road game just because your body's not used to it and maybe it is a little bit tougher mentally because you got ticket requests, you're going back home, maybe seeing your kids, your family, sleeping in your own bed. For them to come out with that type of intensity and focus was really impressive especially from a young team. As I mentioned, they killed the hustle board 66 to 53. For those that don't know what the hustle board is in the Rose Garden scores, it's rebounds, um, blocks, and steals. They just dominated the backboards 55 to 42. And that's against a team with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin who can rebound with the best of them. You know, big props to Aminu. You said he's a great rebounding small forward. You know, that has come to fruition in a big hurry. He had 12 boards. You know, he just fills up the stat sheet, two blocks. One steal, he did it all that game. So kudos to the Trailblazers for getting that victory. But another Trailblazer who is, I want to kind of quietly dominating, Mason Plumley. What are your thoughts on him, Say? I think he, he's looking fantastic. He, he has the second highest player efficiency rating on the Blazers right now. And who's Miller number one? Lillard's, well, Pat Connington's number one, but I don't really include <laughs> that. <laughs> Sample size. Sample size is important. Lillard, Mace, Ed Davis, McCollum, and guess who the fifth one is? Alan Crabb. Nope. Your boo, Cliff Alexander. Another, yeah, that's my guy. Another small sample size thing, but still, he, he's been effective when he's been in. I, I, I think Mace is looking like the center of the future for the Blazers. Definitely. And you think about the value we got out of the 23rd pick to get a starting caliber center. And he goes up against DeAndre Jordan, and he's getting 18 points, 10 boards, and he's doing it efficiently. Six of nine from the field and six of nine from the foul line. I think the free throws are really making a difference. He did it again tonight. He was five of six from the line. Another, I guess he didn't have a double. Yes, he did have a double. He did have a double-double. Yes, against the Clippers. So he had back-to-back double-doubles. He goes for 17 and 11. You know, but he adds in four assists. His vision, 10 to 15 feet extended from the hoop, is amazing. Ed Davis also was great tonight passing the ball. And then Myers is a fantastic passer. So I love that Terry Stotts is getting the ball in the big's hands, you know, out from the hoop and letting our athletes cut back door and just 
you know, we're getting dunk after dunk, swinging the ball, making the unselfish play. That's what I'm loving to see. And when the Blazers are clicking, they're doing that. They're moving the ball. There's no one-on-one. And, you know, the ball's on a string. And it's going to the next guy as quick as can be until there's a wide-open look. I did not know that Davis and Plumlee had this type of vision. We saw a little bit from Myers, but are you surprised? Flabbergasted about, about Davis. Absolutely flabbergasted about Davis. I mean, those he was making quick decisions tonight. Like, oh, there yeah. Was where he got the ball in the paint, he stopped and looked, and he immediately swung it to CJ at the corner for mm-hmm. a three, or was immediate. It was one of those guys, and he did it all night. And another kind of tweak or twist that they put into the offense was teams have been really blitzing Lillard, especially when he's having nights like tonight, sending to Ed Davis and Plumley were sometimes setting the pick and rolling, and sometimes they were slipping that pick and diving right to the hoop, getting easy buckets, and I think those are the type of wrinkles, the troubles you need to keep working in because while those two may not be great with their back to the basket to score in a traditional post offense, they are flat out great at working that pick and roll. So if, as long as the troubles just can get that going, I think that's going to open up everything and the, the teams are going to really have to think twice about blitzing Dame. And that's great news for the Trailblazer fans because if he can go one on one, chances are he's going to make, make the best of that. So, you know, you look at that trade, you know, Plumley. For the 23rd pick, that that's a great move. I think I believe he's only on a five billion a year contract. Five million, uh, please say million. You said million. billion. You said billion, and that scared me. Well, he is he is probably one of the billionaire boys club. You know, we oh. all saw that that music video this summer. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I get shudders when I hear bad hip hop. I, re- I I I want to know what it is, but when I hear bad hip hop, everything in my body just feels this is wrong. Why am I listening to this? And I, I, I put in a good like minute 30 listening to that awful song. Oh, I gave it a listen to which was one, one time wasn't enough for me. You know, do you Mace, as long as you're dropping those dimes, grabbing those boards and making your free throws, you know, do whatever you want with those music videos. Get that appearance fee, bro. That's right. Back to Lillard a little bit. He had a career high 13 assists tonight. I mean, that, he's playing back to where he was at the beginning of the year, and I think his thumb had a lot to do with it. Now that his, his thumb is healed, he's, he's a threat from three. He, there were a couple games during that losing streak where his thumb was really jammed up, and he just had no feel for his shot, and he wasn't even looking for the three. And the, of course, the defense knew that, but now that he's back, he looks pretty close to 100%, 30 points. 13 assists, 6 rebounds, 2 steals. 60 fantasy points. Yeah, of course. (laughs) He is my favorite trailblazer in a long time. And another reason is because he just destroys the Lakers. As a Blazer fan, you have to love a big-time player just dominating your your long-time rival. They may not consider us rivals. I don't care. They're my most hated team of all time. So the fact that Dame just goes nuts on them endears him to me even more. Let's say that the Lakers were offering anyone on their team. Would you take any of the Lakers players for the Blazers? Well, who do we have to give up, though? Let's say Cayman. Keeping in mind that we have Vonley that we want to develop and Dame and CJ, would you want anyone from the Lakers? So let's say this is like 2K then, so we don't have to give up too much. I really like Clarkson. I don't know why they're not getting him the ball. He had a great game when they got the ball, but then guys like Lou and Nick and Kobe start shooting it. They went away from him. Again, I think a guy like Julius Randle is going to be good too, but they're not getting them the ball. It's, it's really hard to judge these young Laker rookies. You want to look at a guy like D'Angelo Russell and be like, man, he's really underperforming. But they're not set up for a system that's going to let them succeed. Byron Scott is not a very good NBA coach, and they really have a lot of chuckers. It's just, it's not a good, it's not a good mix of veterans you want with, with your young guys. I think it's going to hamper their development and take them longer to, to get better. 
what would Clarkson's role be here? I think he'd be a dynamic six-man off the bench, man. Because I was thinking that's Lou Williams, even though he takes bad shots. But no, I want nothing to do with Lou Williams. When he's, this year has been especially bad for him. It seems like role players, when they go to L.A., the Clippers and the Lakers, just have awful years, and it diminishes their value to, to the league. But once they leave L.A., they play much better. So Lou Williams has always been an efficient scorer, except this year. So I'm hoping that once he leaves L.A., hopefully some of that efficiency will come back, and he'd be a dynamic six-man. He would, but again, in the current Blazer situation, I don't think we need a veteran six man. I, oh I, no, I, this is when we're actually when we, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, I, I competing. Like I a, yeah, I would like him to be able to do a little bit more than just score. I think Clarkson is going to start to become a better distributor. He's got the height. He's going to be a good. He's going to be a good one. I mean, unfortunately to say, because I don't like anything about the Lakers, but I think he's going to be a good one. What's his player comparison? Jordan Clarkson? Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. I think uh, he'll have a Jarrett Jack type of career. See, I think he's... You think he's better? As much as I love Jarrett Jack, I think he's already better at one thing that Jack... Jack was just good at a lot of things. He's already a really good scorer for a, a second-year yeah. player, and I think he's only going to get better. I guess if you're just looking straight at his scoring abilities... You know, who's who's a really good dynamic scorer in the league who just scores? I think he could be a more efficient Rudy Gay. You know, that's that's really what he's going to bring to the table a lot. He'll make a couple passes here and there, but I think so he's going to... Monte Ellis or something? A poor man's Monte? No, I don't think he's got that the, the athleticism that young Monte had. I mean, he used to just drive on people and make it, you know, make them look silly. Is it enough Laker talk? Yeah, that's, sorry, Rip City. That's enough Laker talk for our end, but we did get the W, so that's all that matters. Let's go ahead and talk about that Houston game just a bit. Heartbreaker. It, it, the talk about a heartbreaker, you're right. It just, I don't know about you, but when I was watching that game, I just felt like the inevitable was going to happen. Like some, some crazy thing was going to happen, and they were going to tie it up, and sure enough, it happened. Portland did the right thing. They played it by the book. They fouled for possession. Houston made the free throws. We made our free throws like we're supposed to. And we tried to foul them on that last possession. You know, you don't want to foul them shooting the three, so you kind of have to get out of the way. It's really, you know, a tough situation to be in. But all things considered, if you would have told me the Blazers are going to be up three, last possession, Corey Brewer is taking probably, you know, a 30, 32-foot running one-footer to tie the game, you take that scenario 100 times out of 100. And he yeah. probably makes it four hey. Of times. Yeah, you salute him for that amazingly lucky shot. You know, Corey Brewer, he is just the guy that just plays so well against the Blazers. All teams have that that reserve guy that plays well against them. Corey Brewer is unfortunately one of ours. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a long season. There are going to be games where we hit something like that. You know, I am a firm believer of things evening out over the course of 82 games. It just, it, it has to. Yeah, it normalizes. Um, exactly. But for the Rockets, man, they are in just disarray right now you know their big season acquisition what did you what did you notice in that fourth quarter ty lawson just not being a part of that not on the floor at all they're starting a 40 year old jason terry that's not sustainable i don't know if you're making up his age or is that really his age is he really 40 i want to believe so but (laughs) (laughs) just just to make sure everything we say on holy backwards 100 percent factual the actual factuals yeah, actual, factual. Okay, he's 38. That, that's close enough. So, you know, they're starting Jason Terry, and I thought I really thought the Blazers did well down the stretch. I didn't think they, they panicked, you know, too much. Houston even went to the hack of Plumlee once. He made both free throws. You know, we didn't do the best with the, with the press. I did notice 
Houston did put Ariza on Lillard, which is one, a sign of respect, but two, we would have liked to have seen a little bit more wrinkles out of stops. I would have loved to have seen, you know, the same type of, of dive pick and rolls that we saw tonight against the Lakers. But, you know, when James Harden is getting to the line 20 times and hitting 19, so that's, you know, the recipe for getting back into a game. And, you know, not to go off on too much of a rant about Harden, but he just plays ugly basketball. And I have no desire to to really watch him play outside of when the Blazers play them. I have no, obviously I have no inside information. But you can almost tell that these guys just do not like playing with Harden. You know, every time he gets the ball, he's going one-on-one and he's throwing his arms up in the air, hoping and praying for a whistle. Of course, regular season, he gets it. Playoffs, those whistles go away. But... Dwight Howard's taking five shots. You know, he's not the best offensive player, but you got to, he, he played really well against the Blazers in the playoffs, getting the ball. Harden's like, dude, on 2K, the My Park, where your creative player plays with other creative players, he's like the best case scenario for most of those My Park players. He plays good offense, but does not care about defense at all. That's, doesn't care about passing either. N- no. So, yeah, he, he's exactly like, a 2K player in my park. So he's the perfect my park comparison to most players. Had to bring a 2K rep. Yeah, of course. My product placement that I haven't been paid for. <laughs> It'll come one day. <laughs> one day, man. But like the Clippers, I think the Rockets are definitely in win-now mode. And with their their big trade in the offseason to get Lawson's not really panning out. They don't have a ton of young talent. Dwight is playing... Games here and there, seems like his back or his knee or whatever is, is acting up. You know, he did come straight out of high school, so he's got a lot of miles on those legs. But I think they're really missing, uh, Monte Yunus. They don't have that, that stretch four to, to open up the defense. Terrence Jones has kind of, I felt like regressed a little bit and they just don't have, don't have that. Monte Yunus, I felt like always just played so well and really without, Corey Brewer going off for, for 16 points on 12 shots. Houston has no chance of winning the game. So Harden had 45. You know, who, I don't care about that. They won the game because of Corey Brewer. He turned that game around. Do you see Houston? I mean, they're five and seven right now. They've already fired their coach. Do you see any, any light? Do you think at the end of the time, you think they're going to turn it around? Well, what's turning it around? I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't think they'll go around. I think it's top four seed. That's where we have slated preseason. No, but I think they'll make the playoffs. Let's oh, yeah, yeah, but do you think they're one and done? Do you think they get Yeah, I think, I think the Clippers and the Rockets will be one and done unless they play each other. Okay. Well, do, I mean, do you disagree? I just, I look at the standings right now and I see teams like Dallas at third. They're nine and five. That is not going to last. I see a team like the, the Suns at seven and six at the fifth seed. That's not going to last. You know, the, the Clippers are six and seven. You have to think they're going to just only get a little bit better to move up. You know, the Grizz, 7-7, seven and seven, holding strong, but I think that's the right where they're at, the sixth seed. You know, obviously the Warriors and Spurs are 1-2, Thunder probably 3, so I think they're eventually going to end up 4-5, and five, those two yeah. teams. It's just because the West is drunk right now, man. Mm-hmm. It's just completely upside down. Nobody saw the Warriors starting out 15-0. and 0. Um, I, Nobody definitely saw what... The Pelicans, I'm sorry, my friend, but go 3-11, three, three and 11, even though they did pick up a big win. They do look like they're on the right track, but no, you would have never guessed they would have started 3-11. No, 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 no. I will say, I've been waiting for this Anthony Davis to show up. Of course he puts up his points, but the effort, the emotion, rebounding the block shots weren't there when he was in Portland. Plain and simple wasn't there. So he's actually putting effort in. I see them running. 
not AD jogging in the back. So the Pelicans demise. Who did they beat tonight? Who did they beat tonight? Phoenix. Okay, nice win. Who did they beat for the first win? Was that San Antonio? Dallas. Dallas. Okay, so those were two pretty good wins back to back. You see them, even that, even though they're eight games under five hundred. Do you think they're going to sneak into the playoffs? Eight seed and then lose badly against the Warriors. Okay, so here's your scenario, and I talk to you this all the time. Would you rather get eight seed and get swept, or would you rather take your chances in the lottery? And I'm not giving any lottery odds. You just take your chances. chances in the lottery. Eight yeah. seed is de- detrimental because you're going to lose in four or five and I, games. And I think a team like the Pelicans, who moved two lottery picks for Drew Holiday, moved another draft pick for for Omer Ashik, you hey. have to get yeah have to get a high draft pick. It's just. Any other time, maybe you take a shot as an eight seed, but the Warriors look so look like good. they're on a mission. So good. I, I know, think I think them playing against the Warriors is the worst matchup, followed by the Blazers. Yeah, I mean, so you know, speaking of the Warriors, they won their fifteenth straight game. They now tied the Houston, the nineteen ninety three ninety four Houston Rockets, who did go on to win the title for the best start in NBA history at fifteen and zero. Do you see them? This is going to be the question we're all going to hear. So let's just get out in front of it. Are they going to win more than 72 games this year? God, it's so hard to predict that. I'm going to say no because you're going to slip up a few times this year and lose some games you should have won. So I'm going to say no. What do you think, sir? I think they're going to do it. Wow. I don't, I don't want them to. Once records are there, I, unless my team's breaking them, I don't want nobody breaking them. But they just have a focus about them and, they don't have the most talent in the world. You look at the starting lineup, and nobody really wows you outside of Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. You know, Clay Thompson hasn't played as well as he did, as he did last year. You know, Harrison Barnes is a pretty good three and D player. Draymond Green wows me a little bit. The, his basketball IQ is off the freaking charts, and his help defense, his man defense, he is just you know he is their soul of that team. So barring health, and I do hope they stay healthy, I think they are going to do it, or at least hit 70. I think they're definitely going to hit 70. I mean, they hit 67 last year, and they look a notch above where they were at a year ago. Factor in all of the troubles that the Clippers and Rockets and Grizzlies and Thunder are having. You know, the West is just not as tough as it was. You know, going on those East, Eastern Conference road trips, that's not as, you know, daunting as it once, you know, used to be maybe 10, 15 years ago. So you could beat up on the East. I think as long as they don't slip up, they're going to have they're gonna they're gonna do it. Steph Curry is playing on a Jordan type of level when he's just carrying teams. Mm-hmm. You know he's the best. I, I think Larry made a great point in the last podcast where whenever somebody else won the MVP, it was always assumed that LeBron James is the best player in the game. I think right now Steph Curry's the best player in the game. Shout out to Larry by the way. He's yeah, he's so cool. So the Warriors they just play so well. They play beautiful basketball, and I think each part fits in so perfectly. They all know their roles. They have great chemistry. They know where each other is going to be on the court. And I think that can trump talent, just overall talent. Because if you look at rosters, maybe a team like the Clippers or the Thunder have more top to bottom, you know, on paper talent, but they know how to play together. Continuity too. It's the continuity. Exactly. So if they can stay healthy, I think they're going to do it. I still think that's going to be one, one hell of a finals if the Clippers and Warriors match up. I think that could be one of the all time greats. What do you think, buddy? I think so as well, but. Man, it, it, it's too it's too early talking about all this playoff stuff. It, we got to enjoy this regular season. Oh, I'm enjoying it for the Blazers, but I think again, barring health, I think the Cavs 
and the Warriors, they're on a collision course for a rematch. I just would, I would be completely shocked if either team wasn't representing their respective conferences come June. But you're right, it is a little premature. It's still November, you know, not even Thanksgiving yet. So speaking of Thanksgiving, Sage, what is your favorite part, the food? So let's say you have the turkey. You can, you know, what's what's your favorite side you're going for? What's the dessert? You know, so you what, what's your big three? Turkey stuffing and mashed potatoes. Okay, I got you. I got you. So myself, it seems like it goes year to year. Sometimes it's stuffing. Sometimes it's you know the mashed potatoes. I really love my mom's candy yams, but my favorite, and maybe it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but it's the leftovers, but it's not a sandwich. You get a tortilla, you put the mashed potatoes, the gravy, the stuffing, the turkey, the yams, and you get the homemade cranberry sauce. My wife makes an amazing homemade cranberry sauce. It sets it off. You wrap that in tortilla, and you got Thanksgiving burritos. Try this, Roop City. You will thank me. It is magical, and it will make you just yearn for Thanksgiving year-round. Enough food talk. Yeah, we're not like other Blazers podcasts, bro. What What are you thankful for basketball-wise? I'm thankful that there's such things as NBA League Pass, because I'd say I watch five hours of basketball a day now. So, so you're, you're a hoops junkie. You want to get your fix. I, yeah, so uh, I used to be a hardcore uh, streamer of a le- of basketball. Now that I have League Pass put on my Xbox One and watch the NBA League Pass, the second thing is daily fantasy. I think that's the future of uh, fantasy. And being able to watch all the games on League Pass, I have a much clearer idea of what's happening in the world of daily fantasy. You don't have to worry about those viruses either. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. So that, that that's third. No more viruses on uh, my computer, which I use to edit this wonderful podcast. That's the third thing. That's the third thing is doing this podcast with you. Because, I mean, you're my best friend. So being able to talk with you and talk with our fans is definitely the third thing in uh, my top three thankful things. Well, way to steal my thunder. (laughs) Of course, my best buddy. You know, I love talking hoops with you no matter whether it's Sunday night, Monday night, whenever. Just hopping online after a Blazers game is... It's awesome. It's so fun. My other thing, I'm really, I'm thankful for Damian Lillard. Um, you look at franchises like the Brooklyn Nets who give away their draft picks and they have nobody that they can lean on right now. Portland has a bona fide superstar who hasn't even hit the prime of his career, already signed up for five additional years after this season, fully knowing that the, the core was getting gutted and they were starting from scratch. Yet he still wanted to stay in Portland. He loves the fans. He loves the city. And that just makes me so happy. I haven't really loved watching a player like that since Clyde Drexler. So I'm, I'm thankful for Dame. And I know that as long as we have him, the franchise is in good hands. Thankful for the listeners. You guys are great. Uh, we do this show for you. So keep listening. Any feedback is much appreciated how we can make this a better experience for you. Speaking of the fansage, we have... A- a fan question. So, mail time. It comes from our guest last week, Larry, at TBPup22 on, on Twitter. The man, the myth, the legend. And I think he's got a great question. And I think it's something both of us have been, been texting about. So he says, what is Henderson's role? Should he take minutes from Crab or McCollum? And is he gone by the trade deadline? Um, what do you think Henderson's role is? I think it's to show him off for other teams, but we tell the media that it's to mentor the young guys, but it's really to show them off to other teams. I agree that it's to show them off for other teams. 
However, I think what they're going to say and what they are doing with him, he is going to be the ninth or 10th guy off the bench and he's going to come in to, for matchups. If the Blazers go small, he is a really stocky guard so he can, you know, use his weight. He's pretty decent in the post. He's probably our best low post player, to be honest. He has a nice mid-range shot. I think we're going to put him in there in situations where maybe a Harkless or a Crab are either not having the best shooting night or again, it's just not the best matchup. I think we're going to see a lot of, we have so many different players and parts and pieces that Stotts is going to use them in different ways throughout the season. So if he's getting a ton of minutes, yeah, it could be because he's getting showcased, but I do think they are really playing the matchup role. So if you play like Tyreek Evans, he'll go into guard him or a player, a bigger, more powerful guard. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Because you don't want to I mean, put CJ a... on a bigger no, guy. No, you don't want CJ to get in foul trouble either. You know, Henderson's a veteran. He knows how to guard without picking up fouls. He knows the tricks of the trade. I think he is definitely a valuable asset to this team. Our guards could learn a lot from him. However, to the second part of Larry's question, he should not be taking minutes away from Crap or CJ or Mo or any of the young guys just because, one, he's in the last year of his contract. Two, he is a little bit older. Again, he's not even 30, so I know in the grand scheme of life, he's still the young buck, but NBA miles are a little bit different than life miles, so he's getting up there. And three, I don't think he has really outperformed the others. We look over his last three games... And he only has a total of nine rebounds over those three games, just one assist. He's and a bog. He's an absolute he's bog. Shooting, he's not shooting the ball well. He shoots three of seven against Houston, one of nine against the Clippers, and one of five tonight against the Lakers. Does he contribute he really got- in any other aspect of the game other than shooting? Like, no, he plays okay not, defense. Not over those three games, no. So, and yeah, so he's just I like really a... Showcasing him that Clipper game though. I mean, 26 minutes that that seemed like a lot to me, and it's not like Harkless or Crab have been playing poorly either. So, to the third part of Larry's question, is he gone by the trade deadline? I would say chances are greater than 50-50. I'd say probably 60-40. But he's got to play well uh, for other teams to want him. Um, I don't think you just throw him away for for nothing. Again, the Blazers need to have salary on the books, so you don't trade him for. You know, a guy with two or three years left on his contract. Henderson is an expiring deal, so at the very least, you get that money off your books for for next summer. So it's all going to be, you know, predicated on one Henderson playing well in his in his limited time, and then two, a team having a need for him. So maybe you look at a team probably in the East where he's familiar playing with, and I think the race is a little open. I don't think at the top it's as open, but it's a little open in terms of you know seeds two through eight. You know, you look at a team like maybe Miami could use him. Um, the Hawks are always looking for just a ton of just good players that to fit together. And then, you know, the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are going to make a push to make, mm-hmm. they have to make the playoffs in Madison Square Garden in that market. You know, they're in, sitting in the eight seed right now. Could definitely see them making a move. Um, Aaron Aflalos are starting too. I think Henderson's very comparable. So if they could match them together. Um, so it's about finding the right partner, but it's also about Henderson upping his, upping his play. His- Player efficiency rating is three. And I tried to find, like, you know, the, the 15 is an average player. There is no ranking for someone with a three, uh, PER. The lowest on the, the system is five, and that's next stop D League, according to Wikipedia. So he's playing so bad that he's a D, worse than a D League, a player that isn't even marginal. He shouldn't be on a roster right now, the way he's playing. But again, I mean, he's a veteran, but, Right now, and he's flashes of what he can do in that second half against that first uh, San Antonio game. I mean, he was shooting that mid-range jumper. The shot was pure, and he was he was dunking. 
you know, I've no, heard uh, Mike Rice mention that he just not, doesn't have his legs back yet. I could see that. You know, he's not getting a ton of time. You know, he did get that 26 minutes, like I said, against the, the Clippers, but that's still not a lot of run. The only way to get into basketball shape is to play basketball. So give him, give him, give him time. But, but I think, I think he's going to start performing, performing better. So what do you give the chances of Chris Kamen and Henderson being off this team at the trade deadline? Both? Yes. I would say it's probably about the same, a 60, 60, 40. What about one of them? See, I think Cayman's a little bit higher, so I would say about 70-30 for Cayman. Okay. Because that goes back to what Larry said last podcast. Like, he and Neil probably had a talk and said, hey, you're not going to get much run this year. I'm going to try to find you a contender and get you somewhere where you can get you know, a couple couple more minutes a night because you know, you're a veteran. You've done a lot of good for us, especially with coaching Myers. It's kind of our way to, to reward you. Mm-hmm. Okay, buddy. So we predicted, what was it? Did we both predict- I No, no, no. I did a two-in-one week. You said two and one? Yeah, I did. But none of us, did you have this Lakers game as a win? I had the Lakers and the Rockets. Okay. I think I was the only one that really said the Clipper win though. So I'm going to take credit for that one. I said (laughs) one. I said one and two, but I was. You do want to copy me. No. Yeah. And I was hoping for two and one. I definitely said the Rockets would be a win and it really should have been. The Laker win surprised me. I thought that was just a gut feeling. We wouldn't pull it out. And I was honestly, I was thinking during that Laker game, I was like, what are my predictions going to be for the upcoming games? And I was like, you know what? If they win this game, I'm going 3-0. If they lose it, I'm going 1-2. I'm riding that roller coaster because I think this team is a roller coaster, and the only way to get through the season is to ride it a little bit. So upcoming, during this holiday week, the Trailblazers get a visit from the Chicago Bulls, who are currently on a road trip. Um, that'll be Tuesday at 7 then they get a nice, long four-day break. They can spend Thanksgiving with their families, even go Black Friday shopping if that's, you know, that's what they want to. You know, NBA players got to save bucks too. Saturday, the Lakers roll into town at 7. And then Monday, they're back at Staples Center, this time to take on the Clippers at 7.30. So I think the Blazers can go 3-0. Even, even before that win, I really think they can, can go 3-0. Uh, Derrick Rose hasn't been playing for the Bulls. Portland usually plays them pretty tough in Portland. That's, that's just a feeling game. I can't explain it. You know, Joe Kim Noah has always played well against us, but he's not really getting too much run, especially he's a little banged up. You know, he's got a lot of miles on his, on his legs. But I think if we can, if Aminu can stay out of foul trouble against Jimmy Butler, Portland can, can keep guys like Aaron Brooks and Kirk Heinrich from hitting the three and getting into the paint and setting up guys like Gasol or Meritich. Portland's got a very good chance. I think they're going to continue this two-game win streak. Honestly, the game I fear the most is that, that Laker game. And here's why. It's because it is that holiday game. You're getting those four days off. You're probably not going to focus. Terry's probably going to have them practicing but you're not going to get a ton of focus because you are going to have family in town. You're going to want to spend time with your kids. You're going to want to eat. Of course, we all do. And, you know, turkey puts us all in a good mood. Lays us, it's a little, we all get a little laid back. And uh, thankfully, we don't play Friday, so we can have a little bit of a turkey hangover. But I think we really got to worry about that game just because, you know, this team did beat them. I thought they beat them with ease. It was almost like the roles were, were reversed from that Memphis series when we had a 10-point lead. I was t- telling my wife, I was like, it feels like we're up 20. I was like, is this what the Grizzlies felt like when they played us in the playoffs? So it was a little interesting to be on that that side of the table, but I enjoyed it. And then the Clippers, they are just in disarray. We had them down 35 in Los Angeles in the preseason. We played them very well just a couple days ago, Friday night in Portland. As long as Chris Paul doesn't try to go off, I, I like our chances. I think they're, they're the type of team that's going to overlook us, regardless of whether we beat them. They're just, they're not going to take us seriously and we're going to, it's going to come back to bite them. So I've got three and no Sage. What say you? 
I say we lose to the Bulls because I don't think we'll contain Jimmy Butler, but we'll get the other two victories. We would take a two in one week every week. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. two and one puts us at, you know, quick math on a Sunday night, eight and ten. 3-0 gets us to 9-9. You know, everybody that was freaking out over that seven-game losing streak is all of a sudden like, oh, Blazers, hey, welcome back. Again, it's a long season. I wouldn't be surprised if during the season we have a seven-game winning streak. That's just how this team plays. They're very competitive, but the margin for error just isn't there. Without a low-post scorer, without, you know, a third scorer to go along with Damon CJ, and, you know, those two can't be on every night. If one of those two has an off night, it's going to be tough to find points elsewhere. They're you know, a young team, so a good savvy veteran team could get them on the road. You know, East Coast trips aren't going to be the same. Road trips are much different from an inexperienced team and from a veteran team. Teams prepare to win. They know how to win a little bit differently. So, you know, it's going to be a fun ride. I fully expect this season it's not going to be Tank City like you've got, you know, the, the 76ers starting 0-14. Brooklyn. You know, just being awful like Brooklyn and the Lakers when you've only got two wins. You know, let the ping pong balls fall where they may. We both still don't think playoffs, but that's okay. But they're going to be competitive and they're going to, they're setting up something great. Whenever you start to build something, you have to have a foundation. They've got that with Lillard and I think they're finding other building blocks to build around. And like we both said, we thought Mason Plumlee's been fantastic lately and he's definitely one player that is looking like a solid foundation piece. Have you been watching college basketball? I have. I was actually, it was just today. And Olga thought I was watching football. She's like, why are you not watching football? I'm like, eh, NFL kind of bores me. And it was Duke and Georgetown. It was a really good game. And she's like, oh, you're scouting. I'm like, got that right. I'm kind of worried about Ben Simmons' range. Because you don't think he's got three-point range? He shot 60% from the two-point and 20% from three. I think in time that's going to come. But for his skill set, I want to see him slashing, you know, in- in- initiating the offense. But, you know, it's so tough to, to scout college players because you look at a guy like Brandon Ingram, and I was watching that game, and I was waiting for him to check in. It seemed like he never played um, from Duke, and he's, you know, considered a top 10, top 5 prospect, and he's, he's probably going to go there, but that's just because, you know, the hype he had coming in from high school. But in college, coaches aren't just going to play you because you are a five-star recruit. You've got to earn it, and that's why it's, it's, it is tough to scout. I mean, I do like to see, you know, what they can do, what they can bring. I think a kid who is going to shoot up in this draft is uh, Grayson Allen from Duke. He is small for a two-guard, but that boy can shoot. And it's not like Jimmer where he's, he's making everything look difficult and shooting from you know 35 feet. It's catch and shoot. It's quick. It's like Corver. You know, he made a smart move coming back. He had a great finals run um, through the through the tournament, but he is now the man at Duke. If they have a great season, he's definitely going to find a way to sneak himself into the lottery. You always need to bring in whether you're picking first or thirtieth. You can find a gym, and that's one way to keep the talent flowing. You need to always have an influx of young players. I know the Trailblazers added a bunch. You know, you always have to keep drafting well. If you look back at the early 90s Trailblazers, you know, that was my childhood. Still my most bonded sports memories. How they got rolling is drafted well. They took Sabonis and Petrovic, 86 draft. They got Mark Bryant, I believe, in um, 88 or 89. Then they drafted Cliff Robinson in the second round. So they already had that core of Jerome, Clyde, Terry, they made trades to get Duck and Buck, but then they drafted the rest of of their core, and that really set them up, because Sabonis came over, and it was that draft pick obviously would have led to a title had he come over early on in the early 90s, but 
by him coming over in 96, that still set us up for that great late 90s, early 2000s run. So a great draft pick, like we saw with Damian Lillard and CJ, that just sets your franchise up, you know, for, for success. So it's, I always like talking draft, you know, regardless of, of the position. It's, you know, as the season gets a little bit more into it, they've only played like three or four games. You know, we'll start having our, you know, top five, maybe a little bit, bit of a big board, but sample size is a little small right now. So, um, just kind of hits, highlights here and there from the prospects. But I think that'll do it with the draft talk. You know, a great week like we mentioned, for Oregon sports, and more importantly, for our Trailblazers. Let's 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 have a thankful weekend, Sage. Let's have a thankful week. Hopefully it's filled with Blazer wins. I'll take those as my favorite Thanksgiving side dishes. All right, Sage, I think that about wraps it up for this 10th episode. We made it to 10 episodes, buddy. You know, Consistency, Matt. Every week. Every week with that. So you know, thank you to all our listeners out there. If you want to listen to this podcast or subscribe, you can find us at Stitcher and on SoundCloud at HolyBackboardPDX. If you want to email us, our email is HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And we are always live and active on Twitter at HolyBackboard. So if you got fan questions, hit us up there. If you want to like some of our tweets, retweets, interact with us, we're always online. Uh, we appreciate your support. But man, I mean, that's a great Sunday night. Great way to go into the work week, my friend. Beating the Lakers. Trailblazers, get it done. 107 to 93. They got the Bulls coming up on Tuesday, Lakers again Saturday, both of those games at home, and they wrap up that week, Monday night, back at Staples against the Clippers. Continue the trend. Beat LA, beat Chicago. They don't want none of the small market stuff. Small markets over everything. Let's go, Rip City. Let's have a thankful week. Hopefully it's filled with blazer wins. I'll take those as my favorite Thanksgiving side dishes.